Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast. A podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Taluka. Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. Hi, this is Whitney Lowe, and welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast. This episode is sponsored by our wonderful friends at Handspring Publishing. Their catalog has emerged as one of the leading collections of professional-level books written especially for body workers, movement teachers, and all professionals who use movement or touch to help their patients achieve wellness. Handspring's Moved to Learn webinars are free 45-minute broadcasts featuring their authors, including one with Till. So head on over to their website at handspringpublishing.com to check those out, and be sure to use the code TTP at checkout for a discount. And thanks again so much, Handspring. Till is off again this week, and I have a great opportunity to uh, hang out with a couple of great friends of mine. So I'm uh, very happy to welcome uh, Ann Williams and Eric Brown to the Thinking Practitioner podcast. So hello again. You're being the Colorado substitute for Till this week. So <laughs> That's right. We yeah. just live down the road from him. Yeah, I know. All right. Sounds good. Well, uh, for those of you who, uh, have, uh, those of us, our audience who haven't had a chance to uh, meet you guys yet, can you tell me a little bit about your backgrounds and, and um what your what your sort of positions are doing in the massage world these days, and I'll go ahead and start with you first. Okay, uh, so my background is I have a degree in theater, which meant that I was very good at waitressing, and uh, <laughs> like many people in massage, uh, massage was a second career for me. Mm-hmm. So I had a fall off a horse and had a lot of injury, and then uh, was introduced to massage through my recovery, and I became a massage therapist. Uh, working in Washington state. And then very quickly after that, a massage instructor, my mom is a curriculum designer. So I think curriculum design and education is a little bit in my blood. Uh, From there, uh, after working at the massage school for five years, uh, as a teacher, I became the director of education. And this is at Ashmi College School of Massage in Tacoma, Washington. And then I met the lovely people at ABMP, Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals, and I was hired as their director of education from 2006 until 2019. Uh, Enjoyed that job and that group very much, but wanted to break off and work in the publishing field. I've always loved publishing. I've always loved books. And so... um, Eric Brown and I started our company. We're married, so we had to do something together because <laughs> our interests otherwise are very different. <laughs> so we founded Massage Mastery Online in 2019, and we produce digital multimedia textbooks and continuing education on our online platform. All right. That sounds great. I didn't realize this, uh, and uh, and I had uh, an episode the last go around with Nikki Monk talking about massage research, and she also had a theater background. And we were talking about a few other people, you know, Ruth Werner and, and Blair Kennedy. I think that also had theater backgrounds. So maybe this is a trend we have going here. Yeah, Drew <laughs> yeah. has a theater background. So yeah, there's lots of us who couldn't make it in acting. Yeah, that's right. yeah. <laughs> but it makes you a great presenter. Yeah, right. She, makes, right. she makes the audience cry, laugh a little, cry a little. Yeah. So Eric, was your, did you have any theater or just, just dance in your background? Yeah. So, uh, no, no, I can't act my way out of a paper bag, but, okay. uh, but I have a background in classical ballet. So that was my, my career. That's right. I remembered that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about, uh, more about yourself as well. Yeah. So, so, uh, first career is in classical ballet. 
Um, it was, it's very hard on your body. You don't make a lot of money on it, even though I'm, I was working. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're not going to get rich doing ballet. Uh, so I decided to uh, go into medicine. So I did my prerequisites for medical school and realized I didn't have any marketable skills. I could get a job to support myself uh, through, uh, through school. So um, I thought I'll do a massage program because uh, they do an accelerated program um, I'll, I'll do that first. I'll get some skills and then I will continue on with medical school. Mm-hmm. And then I just got stuck in massage there. Yeah. This was in the late eighties. Uh, you know, the profession was going through like this massive growth, um, period of growth. Um, and there were lots of opportunities to keep me excited and interested. And mm-hmm. I stuck with massage. Um, I, I don't know if you want me to outline a little bit about my massage career or yeah tell us a little bit because we're our our topic today i wanted to to focus on was educational innovations and you guys have both done some really innovative things throughout your your careers so i'd like for people to kind of get a sense of where your your background came from to to sort of aim that trajectory so so yeah tell us a little bit about like the bodywork biz and the other things that you've been doing okay and like, like Anne, like I'm always, I've always been interested in education. So, um, you know, one of my first summer jobs in high school was teaching English as a second language to uh, Vietnamese and Chinese immigrants uh, in Northern Canada. I'm, I'm Canadian. Um, when I went into dance initially, uh, I planned to be a dance teacher um, until I decided, uh, you know, I can't stand working with little kids and uh, <laughs> decided to go into performance instead. <laughs> And so, and that's the way I learn. I, I learn by sort of uh, explaining things to others. It uh-huh. helps yeah. it stick in my head. It's just, sure. it's just the way my brain works. I need to, to outline it uh, out loud in some way. Um, so when I graduated from, from massage school, um, uh, I'm not sure where to start. I started teaching right away mm-hmm. um, within months after graduating. Um, uh, uh, and I'll just keep this short. Uh, you know, I started private practice and I opened up some multi-therapist clinics in Toronto. Then I met David Palmer and really um, was really strongly pulled by his vision of making touch a positive social value. Mm-hmm. And David Palmer, of course, is the father of chair massage. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went all in on chair massage, uh, opened a school to teach exclusively chair massage because I was selling to corporations. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've worked in pretty much every major financial institution in Canada, every major um, law firm, companies like IBM, Dell, Kellogg, Levi Strauss. And massage therapists just didn't want to do the work because uh, in Canada, we're trained more along the lines of physiotherapists. It's very rehab focused. So they didn't want to do just back rubs. Yeah. Um, So I had to train people to do it. So I opened up a massage school. Um, I realized that, you know, a lot of these people were going out and doing it on their own. So I realized I needed marketing help and business has always been an interest for me. So I started teaching business classes and then I expanded that to massage therapists through body work, wasn't body work biz at the time, but doing workshops, marketing workshops across Canada. And when my son was born in 99, I thought I want to spend time with him as he grows up. So I uh, thought I'll put all this stuff online, all the stuff I'm doing. And this was you know, the browser was only invented and only came out in 95, right? So this is pretty early in internet terms. So I thought I'll put this stuff online as courses and, you know, eventually enough people will be on this internet thing uh, that mm-hmm. I can sell something, maybe make some money. Well, it just took right off. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, of course that really excited me. Um, and that sort of was my entry point into uh, online learning. 
Yeah. And what year was that again? This was late nineties. You said, and that was, yeah, this was 1999 when I yeah. opened a mm-hmm. body work biz with, mm-hmm. with e-courses. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, we just didn't have the technology to do things the way you, we can today. So yeah. it, was, it, yeah. was, it was, it was pioneering. Yeah. Um, and I uh, just followed, just followed technology trends. Um, so uh, I was together, I got together with a group of, of, uh, therapists in Canada and we just sort of formed a mastermind group and we just to discuss issues in, in the massage profession, like you're doing with Till. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then we thought, you know, and, and it was just private between us with teleconferencing. And then we thought, you know, wouldn't it be great to be able to speak with other people around, you know, around the world and other thought leaders. Yeah. So we started a podcast in 2006, I believe. And again, podcasting was new and nobody had ever heard of podcasting. So we called it massage therapy radio. So people would know it was something you listen to. Yeah. Um, and the technology evolved to the point where we could actually stream audio and images together in sort of like a video presentation. Mm-hmm. And we thought, let's expand this into, uh, you know, Scott Dartnell and I had a crazy conversation and said, let's do a, an international conference online. Yeah. So we launched World Massage Conference that first year in 2008. We had 60 presenters uh, live through the week. Uh, from around the world, Russia, Italy, <laughs> everywhere around the world. And that started World Massage Conference, which has been one of the biggest uh, sort of online conferences for, for about a decade until ABMP picked it up. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that's that's a bit about my background. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's sort of fascinating to see, you know, you were you're stepping into a lot of these um kind of new things right when they were new, you know, getting involved with, with the online education stuff in the, in the late nineties when it was really in its infancy. And, you know, this, uh, with the, the massage therapy radio, did you have, uh, you know, the, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, all the podcasting platforms weren't around at that time. So how no. is this just being delivered through a website? Is that how you were getting that yeah. out there? Yeah. All the, all those early, um, all that early podcasting was just done through, through blogs. Yeah. Yeah. Set up with RS feeds. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then of course, like we moved into, uh, I think er- earlier on, like, uh, 2013 at the ABMP schools issues forum, you know, I did a presentation on education revolution, mm-hmm. um, talking about blended curriculum, which is, I know something that you're very interested in. Yeah. Uh, and finally, we've got to actualize this, this dream of creating digital, um, multimedia textbooks yeah. uh, for schools to, um, get us closer to that goal. Yeah. Yeah. I want to delve into that in a little bit later when we get uh, down the road. I want to look at a few other things here, too. And I had some questions I wanted to ask because, you know, we sort of have talked about this so many times, a number of times in the past. But, you know, during your your long tenure at ABMP, uh, in my opinion, just you totally revolutionized the education department there and, and the things that you did with outreach to schools, to organizations, to individuals was just really highly impactful. And um, I was curious if you had kind of like a um, mission or an idea that you had for what you wanted to accomplish when you sort of looked down the road for what's coming up ahead in education or sort of what helped you sort of chart the course for what you wanted to accomplish there. Yeah. And I would say, you know, like at ABMP, one of the things I'm really grateful for is they're not afraid of a big idea. And they got behind me on a lot of big ideas that were multi-year projects that required a lot of resources and a lot of time. And I, I'm seriously grateful for that because, um, you know, the game changer ideas take a lot of time, as you know, 
uh, it's just, they're very labor intensive. So thanks to ABMP for that. And I think that very early on, especially my mission was completely aligned with Bob Benson's mission. Uh, and he was the president at the time. And now he's the chairman and Les Sweeney is the president. And I would say uh, I'm very aligned with Bob and mostly aligned with Les, but they came to me and said, um, well, I sat down with Bob at a lunch at a FSMTB meeting, one of the first FSMTB meetings. And he said, if you had all the money and all the time necessary, what would you do for massage education? And I said, oh, well, let me tell you. And I rattled off a list of the 13 years worth of things that I did at ABM. Right. Yeah. And when I got home from that that conference, uh, an email was waiting for me and Bob flew out and met me at the school a week later and offered me my position. And I am so grateful for that. But I think that my mission has always been driven by what I saw on the ground as a teacher and as a director of ed at a large massage school. We had this is, of course, during the golden age of massage education. We were graduating around 400 students a year from our massage program. And what I saw was students coming to education with a negative education history, with yeah. mm -hmm. a feeling that they couldn't learn and a real misunderstanding that it wasn't them who had failed knowledge. It was knowledge that had failed them. And I really wanted to create resources for first for students to help them overcome their learning challenges. And then for teachers to make their jobs easier. And then for administrators who were trying to support their instructors. And then just for the whole school system. If massage schools don't thrive, our profession can't thrive. And we already know that our profession is in a state of contracture it's contracting. We are seeing less students go through massage school and not enough therapists being available for the jobs that are available to them. Now you could say, maybe those jobs need to pay a little bit more. Maybe those jobs need to offer um, some flexibility that's not being offered right now, but there's a shortage of therapists right now. There's not enough for the consumer demand. And a lot of that falls on the shoulders of education. Mm -hmm. And I think we can shift that in some way. Yeah. So uh, my goal is to help make learning acquisition easier. Mm -hmm. That's it in a nutshell. Yeah. I want to help those challenged students and get them through so that they can pass the Amblex on the first try enter our profession and have a fantastic career and a sense of lifelong learning. Like if I would say that that's the other thing I would want to, my other mission is to make learning so accessible and so much fun that people do it for the rest of their lives. So, Anne, I wanted to get back to something you were just saying here a moment ago too, because I know, um, you know, I smile when I think about this, you and I are two of the few people that I know that can sit around and enthusiastically geek out on instructional design out, theory. Totally. <laughs> so, and we've done that a number of times. And you just don't find that many people who think that that's really um, that fascinating or engaging. And I know you mentioned <laughs> that your mom was involved with curriculum design. I can see, you know, where that's come through you. But I love, you know, when I want to see you do your presentations, then I can see it done 
well and see those kinds of things done really well. And, you know, you and I have talked about this a number of times. What do you think is, um, you know, what is it that I, uh, that you think is so important that needs to be emphasized in this area that, that, I mean, I think we don't do enough in terms of emphasizing some of these concepts of teaching teachers how to teach with instructional design. What are some of your thoughts on you know, where we could move ahead in, in these directions and, and why that's so important? Well, it's interesting. I, you know, I think about this a lot with me um, because I ran, I, I initiated and then ran the instructor on the front lines workshops. And we had different instructors who taught them. Taffy Lewis was amazing. Cindy Williams, Kristen Coverley. Um, so I think that one of the things that I realized is you have to really want to learn instructional design to learn it. And it's not, um, and structure is just so insanely important. And I think we are in a profession where people feel like spontaneity is more important than structure. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when I'm working with teachers, they'll say to me, you know, no, to be authentic, I need to just come from the heart and do it off the top of my head. And, and they need to just see it in action and they can see everything that they need to see, or they'll pick up the right stuff. It's almost yeah, like yeah. Um, a magical thinking that students will just sort of absorb you in, when you're the teacher, but yeah, that's absolutely yeah. not the case. Mm -hmm. It needs to be highly orchestrated, highly structured, true spontaneity only happens in the midst of extreme structure. Mm -hmm. That was the number one lesson that my mom taught me. My mom in front of an audience or in a classroom seems like the most spontaneous person on the face of the planet. They don't understand that there are hours and hours of prep that she does to be prepared enough to bring that kind of structure to bring that kind of spontaneity and that sort of joy. And that's yeah, what I yeah. find too. Yeah, when I'm yeah. highly prepared, I am joyful. I am in my joy place and that's the place I want to teach from. Mm -hmm. So it's first of all, sort of convincing teachers that what they saw as a student from their own teacher was enough that there's a, this higher level of teaching skill and to be skilled as a teacher is just as important to be as being skilled as a massage therapist. So it's breaking that down then, like, what does that mean? How do you teach a concept? Because there are about 2,500 massage therapy concepts that learners have to absorb during the course of a foundational training program. Like, how do you do that? And how do you structure a hands-on demonstration so that they don't just walk away with like the first two techniques you showed mm -hmm. that they actually can absorb more than that. So, uh, you know, it's, there are very specific skills. There is a very specific formula you can follow to structure your content effectively. It's not that hard, except that it is that hard. Like I get out my little checklist and I use it every time I create a presentation. And it's interesting. I just recently did a presentation where I didn't use it. And I spent a lot of work on that presentation and I was unhappy with it at the end. Mm -hmm. I didn't love the way that it flowed. I didn't love the way that it worked. I felt like ultimately for the learner, it didn't work well. And now I'm back 
with my little, <laughs> you know, checklist, uh -huh. like, uh -huh. you know, checklist right in front of me saying, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? And if you didn't do these things, go back and do them now. Yeah. I saw uh, an interesting piece that was written in an education article a number of years ago that was talking about the teabag model of education, which so many people uh, sort of ascribe to the idea that if you just steep yourself in content or time for a certain period of time, you're going to get it and absorb it. And that really is such a, a mistake, I think. Um, and it gets back to what you're saying about the, the planned uh, instruction processes and the methods of, of really getting people to get things. And just because the teacher sat up in front of the classroom and said something certainly doesn't mean that people got it and yeah. can do something with it. And, uh, and you might know this too, Whitney, like I struggle with when I teach uh, aromatherapy, um, I really struggle. And the reason is I'm an absolute expert in aromatherapy. So I think everything's important mm -hmm. and lots yeah. of massage therapists are experts in their area. And, you know, there's a whole book written what the best teachers do. And it talks about the fact that one of your worst teachers is an expert yeah. and you're yeah. much better to actually study with somebody who's not an expert on a topic, but proficient. Mm -hmm. you know, like you can't have somebody who's basic, who's just one step ahead of you, Yeah. but yeah. you want somebody who's maybe two steps ahead of you and who can remember how they got to where they are. Mm -hmm. So I, I think about that a lot when I teach aromatherapy, like if you weren't an expert, would you think that this is important? And usually I go, yeah. And then I go, no, no, right. no one cares about this. Yeah. No one, right. only you, maybe yeah. Whitney Lowe, but nobody else. You know, the, um, I spent a, a good deal of time when I was young studying martial arts and the, the martial arts training model that's used in a lot of, um, martial arts schools where, you know, the, the, there's sort of levels of teaching. There's always a master at the top of the, the heap, but there's always, you know, you're like, you're learning something from the second, the third year students, and they're learning something from the fourth and the fifth year students. And that sort of idea is it keeps them closer to understanding. These are some of the fundamentals that you really have to get to. And, and uh, that absolutely, I agree with you, does take a true gifted educator to understand how to teach to the beginner's mind, that idea of those, those things that people don't really know a whole, a whole lot. So, um, and that's a tough one. That's, that certainly is, is the, um, the mark of a really good educator. The easy entry point. Yeah. What's the easiest entry point to the content. Yeah. That's yeah. The first question to ask yourself. Yeah. So Eric, I want to bounce back to some of what you were talking about too, with the, the early days of massage therapy radio and the world massage conference. I've always, um, watched what you've done with with great appreciation for your innovative use of technology like we said oftentimes before it was really around and before a lot of other people were using it and i've certainly run into some of these kinds of things because i'm a techie geek as well yeah. and i've also you know started getting into online education around the early 2000s or so and and so it was again way before good technology and tools allowed us to be able to do really good kinds of things with it. But one of the things that I've always seemed to run up against is a, a perception that, you know, this is such a hands-on profession. People don't want to have much to do with technology. And I was wondering, like, how have you worked through some of those challenges of trying to get and introduce massage therapists in a real manual world 
to take advantage of some of these kinds of things in, in technology that have produced some great educational innovations, I think. Yeah, and it's it's true. There there is a lot of uh, you know we are slow adopters in terms of technology, the massage profession. Um, so it is a challenge. Um, but once you're introduced to it, and well, once you're introduced to good mm-hmm. uh, yeah. online learning, because yeah. <laughs> there's a a whole lot more bad out yeah. there. But right. once you're introduced to good online learning, then you you intrinsically understand the benefits. Yeah. So can I interrupt you for a second? I want to ask your take on this because this is something that comes up when I hear discussions about this good bit. What to you makes good online learning versus bad online learning? Oh, it's, uh, well, as you know, it's very multidimensional. Yeah. Uh, There, there, there are a lot of elements to it and, and we can sort of delve into some of those when we talk about massage mastery, maybe, and how that is structured. Yeah, to to make uh, make for good online learning. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for me, starting out in online learning uh, it, with with bodywork biz, uh, you know, it was not not a conventional course. It was not an ebook. Um, for for me, it was important to make a really personal connection uh, with people. So the the material was all structured as though we were sitting across the table to make it accessible. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the language was this, if we we're having a coffee and we're just chatting about business. Yeah. Um, and, and people really uh, enjoyed that kind of approach where they felt a, a, a connection with me personally. Mm-hmm. And even when I would send out a, you know, an email broadcast to, I don't know, 20,000 people, you know, people would write me back as though I was writing to them specifically. <laughs> you know, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't gotten to that yet. <laughs> you know, but I will, I promise. Um, so, uh, so you know, making making uh, making it more human, I think, was was very important. Yeah. Uh, at, at that point, because uh, we didn't really have all the bells and whistles that we can add into a, a platform uh, now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, do we want to delve into this later, uh, and or, or Whitney, in terms of, of sort of some of the features that? Yeah, that I want to talk a little bit more about the whole massage mastery project a little bit down the road here. So, but I want to kind of lead us up to that to kind of talk sequentially about how those things sort of percolated and grew with both of you through your careers to kind of lead lead to that point. And you know, talking some about the online education facet, clearly a lot of that got pushed very fast and much farther down the road because of the pandemic um, that, you know, many of us felt like we were banging our heads against the wall for many years, trying to get people to pay attention to online education as a possibility. But it was, uh, you know, once it became an absolute necessary to do overnight, there was certainly a, a rush of things to get, get stuff into that kind of format. And, and I think, unfortunately, it also led to a lot of really bad stuff being done because it had to get done yeah. overnight and it's yeah. it's hard to build online stuff fast uh, good o- online education things fast as you know it is yeah so initially initially uh, you know it's about enticing people it, yeah. it's <laughs> really and and it, and it is a, it is a slow process we are slow adopters mm-hmm. so just like i mentioned you know our podcast we didn't call them podcasts we wanted to make it accessible so we called it massage therapy radio and people would just yeah. tune in and listen to the show, um, and and um, and sort of the excitement of, of of something new attracts a certain percentage of the 
uh, you know, the massage population yeah. and it spreads. Did you ever feel that, um, you know, that it was like a lot of hard work trying to, you know, open these new doors and things that people weren't accustomed to, you know, people didn't listen to podcasts that much back then, or the whole idea of the, you know, when the world massage conference first came out, people were like, well, where do we go for this? You know, is this, this thing is happening. So <laughs> yeah, and exactly. did you feel yeah, like was... there was a whole lot of having to educate people about what you were about in addition to actually doing the platform and the process itself? Yes, absolutely. Like education was so important. And it doesn't matter how many times we said it on the website, you know, this is a virtual conference that you watch on your computer, on the yeah. internet, uh-huh. in from your home. Yeah. And then we get invariably, almost every day, help requests. Yeah. You know, this all sounds good, but where is it happening? Yeah. Like, where, where do I go? You didn't even give me the location or hotel details. I know. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So yes, so certainly it is. It is a lot of education, and and, yeah. and um, uh, again, enticing people in, giving them opportunity, giving them easy ins uh, yeah. to that world. You know, doing lots of initially lots of free broadcasts. Um, you know, so people could just stick their toes in it and see what it was all about. Yeah, and absolutely. One of the things you would tell me, Eric, when we would talk about World Massage Conference, like your one of your missions was just to bring everybody together in a way that didn't cost them a fortune. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't have to fly anywhere. They didn't have to travel. They could just sit down and watch it in their pajamas. And this was long before we realized the beauty of zoom and sitting in your pajamas <laughs> at a work yeah. meeting. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I remember you talking about, um, you know, how the massage community wants community that is so crystal clear and that is driving so much of their adoption from my point of view they're adopting technology because they want to be able to connect with fellow massage therapists around the country and around the world Mm -hmm. and i think the pandemic made us helped us understand that it was the way we were going to be able to connect. And now it just feels like I want more and more. You just see stuff springing up everywhere because there is an appetite for it. There's an appetite of getting out of your session room and talking with your colleagues. And I think that that is the key to driving people online is it doesn't, it doesn't have to be flat. It doesn't have to be, it can be a really rich environment and it can include your colleagues and your peers. Yeah. And I think, you know, with some of these virtual events that we've seen, one of the great um, advantages is, for example, you can have a wide group of presenters from all kinds of divergent areas come and do an hour long presentation at a virtual event or something like that. And you never would have been able to afford to fly them all into one place, put them up in hotels and do all the things that would have been necessary to get those people to be able to present to, to a group. So those, those cost structures have been a huge advantage uh, of doing that. But at the same time, I think the, the kind of difficult place that we're at now is learning that, we need to get past just the idea of trying to duplicate what we did in the classroom in the online environment as, as the means of a good presentation process. Cause that's not necessarily, not necessarily the best way to do things sometimes. Exactly. And, and this is, you know, this is one of my concerns is, is, is just that there's just a lot of bad education coming online. 
mm-hmm. uh, because it's so easy um, to produce. Yeah. And and doing good online education is different than just uh, you know the, the 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 natural thing that everybody did is you know you just put your book online yeah. the way it is. You just put your class online the way it is, and that's not the way. Um, it's not the most effective way for people to learn online. Yeah. It has to be structured in a very specific way mm-hmm. that's, that's unique to the medium. Yeah. Um, and people just, uh, you know, especially producers still don't quite get that. Yeah. Yeah. We still got a um, pretty substantial learning curve there. And also another you know thing that, that I hear a good bit is, you know, the, the conversations around, well, uh, online education doesn't produce as you know, good of, uh, of outcomes as what we do in the classroom with people. Um, although that doesn't, that's sort of not supported in the research because the research tends to support the idea that actually it does uh, do a very good job of that in many instances. But the other thing that people don't really take into account a great deal is that we never actually really established a stand, uh, an idea that this method that we were using to teach stuff in the classroom was any gold standard to begin with. So when we're comparing yeah. <laughs> things to that. It's like, I don't think we ever really established that was the best way to do it to begin with. So uh-huh. I, I think, think we, yeah. I think one of the things that happens to people, I don't know, I wouldn't just say in the massage profession, but I mean, overall in education is there's this polarization that happens around online ed and it's, you know, when online education came out, everybody was touting it as the answer to everything. Mm -hmm. It's going to solve all your problems. And it never lived up to that particular promise. It does many things well, but it can't do everything. Uh, There's a place for online education and there's a place for in the classroom education, brick and mortar education. Both of them in massage are necessary both of them are a good fit when they're blended. Like I'm a big fan of the blended curriculum. I don't think everything should move online. I Mm -hmm. think stuff should move online, but not everything. Like, for example, like when you think about assessment, you're probably the foremost assessment teacher in the country who schools could have access to you. Schools could have access to the best assessment teacher in the country. Mm-hmm. Schools could have access to the best chair massage teacher in the country, which is probably Eric. Mm-hmm. Um, they could all, also have access to me as the aromatherapy teacher, but they should probably go somewhere else because I'm an <laughs> expert and I know it and I'm going <laughs> to feed them all these details they don't need. But my point being, um, when you take the time to produce theory-based content at an extremely high level, which I think we're doing and I think you're doing, Whitney, Um, you can't reproduce that easily in the classroom with 3,000 teachers because number one, those teachers are stretched pretty pretty thin. Number two, they're probably teaching more than just one class a term because they need to make enough money to live. They probably have a massage practice. We are dedicated, as you are, to creating online content that is vivid, that is rich, that's thought it all through. Mm -hmm. So do I think that we can do theory-based content really super well online if we put our hearts and souls into it and a lot of hours and sweat equity? Mm -hmm. I do. Do I think that we are the only answer or online education is the only answer? I absolutely don't think that. And I, I often get sort of 
the assumption that, well, you guys believe everything should be taught online. No, I don't. (laughs) No, I absolutely don't. I think there's a lot of stuff that we can teach online. And the reason why that might be important is because in massage education right now, in foundational education, students have a lot of options in terms of programs that they can go to. And when they look at that school that's teaching four or five days a week, four or five hours in the classroom, they say, I'm going to do this med tech program because I only have to be in the classroom one time a day, one time a week. And I can still raise my kids and take care of my elderly parents and hold down my full-time job. Mm -hmm. So I think we're missing out on people who might want a career in massage because their scheduling isn't flexible enough. And that is the true, the, the greatest value of online ed in so many ways is that people's lives are busy and learning has to fit into the margin of adult learners' lives to be realistic. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a, a huge factor and, and hopefully something that will drive some of those kinds of changes and innovations in the future. And, uh, you know, uh, and I was thinking back on this um, as I was sort of doing some preparations for this podcast and trying to remember like when we first met and started having some of these discussions. And I'm thinking that it was around the time of the teaching massage writing project, the book that um, ABMP had supported about trying to teach massage teachers how to teach. Um, and, you know, that that was a really, I thought, again, interesting and uh, timely educational innovation at that time. I also feel like it never really caught on the way it needed to in terms of use throughout the profession. Um, I would really like to have seen that gotten a whole lot more exposure yeah. in a lot of massage schools and a lot more use throughout the profession. But, you know, we just touched on something in talking about that, that you know, we need to do a lot to teach our teachers in this field about teaching, even in the ways that they've been formally sort of exposed to throughout their whole educational lives, teaching in the classroom. But we really also need to teach people about how to teach online because it's very different. So uh, either of you have ideas or suggestions about, you know, what might be coming in the future for the best ways for us to teach the teachers of the future? Well, I do. I agree. There has to be some training that addresses online education, how it's different, how it's similar. Um, I think the key that we need to start working on getting across, like one of the things I think you talked about teaching massage. One of the things that book was widely adopted by schools, like its sales in the first year were around 3000 units. Mm -hmm. So in the first year that it came out, schools bought copies and shared them with their teachers. Um, However, it was also sort of came out at this time where education theory was really in a shift. And we were starting to recognize that maybe some of the theories that we had glommed onto were not really as valuable as we thought. And this is, you know, for me, I'm constantly reading the research and now I reject a lot of it. I just say, you know, that theory doesn't, doesn't hold up for me. Like yeah. You know, learning, um, I, I know styles. I yeah. wrote the chapter on learning. Styles I know. <laughs> and you did a beautiful job. And I was like, Oh man, we should play <laughs> rewind on that one. You know, yeah. but I mean, yeah. that's, that's what growth and moving forward is about. So, right. And and you know what, 
learning styles is such an interesting sort of dilemma because it, every teacher loved it. Schools loved learning styles. Teachers love learning styles and they just flocked to it. And it created this mass market of learning styles assessments, no less than 75 models Mm-hmm. of different groups with their different learning styles assessments that schools could purchase for their students. And lots of them did not understanding that it's not learning styles, it's multiple approaches to content yeah. and yeah. building a learner's capacity to move outside their comfort zone when approaching the work. And that's the other thing, how you teach an approach to the content, how you teach an approach to the work and moving teachers away from just sort of conveying a concept in their own way and saying, how do we approach this content students? Like, how are we going to learn about this particular topic? What's going to be our best approach here? Mm -hmm. And knowing that that changes as the content type changes. So I don't know, it's, it's growing and changing so fast. Um, I recently was completely enamored with the idea of microdosing uh, education. And I got all on this microdosing train, the smallest possible bite. It just does not work in practice. Mm-hmm. It means that your learner is constantly being disrupted. They don't actually, they want a smaller chunk, like a 10 minute, 15 minute chunk. That's a good chunk. Yeah. A three minute chunk, mm-hmm. they'll abandon They'll never get to the end of the chunks they need to get through. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. Like, it's interesting. You try it out and then you, you have to be ready to absolutely abandon it and move on if it doesn't deliver. And and for me too, I, I, I sort of see teachers being interested in instructional design and curriculum development, just like massage therapists in practice are interested in marketing. It's, it's, you, 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 bring, you bring your heart and your hands to your, your work. You want to share, yeah. uh, you know, with others, um, you know, you want to help others. Um, and you don't realize there's this whole other part that has to happen before you can do that. You have to actually get people into your office, for example, before you can touch them. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that, that is not the reason why people, people didn't get into massage because they wanted to get into business and marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to introduce that uh, information in a way that's uh, accessible, uh, fun, and easy to take in. Yeah, that's um, such and- a wonderful analogy. I haven't ever heard that before, but that really, that really hits home with that uh, idea that like, yeah, nobody really wants to be focusing on business and marketing a whole lot, but if you don't, you're dead, you know? And I think the same thing is true if nobody really, well, there's a couple of us that are excited. (laughs) There's two of you (laughs) in the profession. (laughs) But most people really aren't that excited about educational theory, but you don't do it well and it's just going to show up um, eventually. Yeah, so so that that kind of training has to be, um, again, just, just made available in a very accessible way. Yeah. Um, and, and sort of, sort of dripped out <laughs> rather yeah. than fire hosed. Right. And this kind of takes us over into what, what, what you're talking about here. You got to do it in a way that makes things accessible to people. I want to, to now talk a little bit about the, this new project that you guys are on with massage mastery, because I think it's just a, it's a fascinating new venture forward once again, and some things that are really breaking ground 
in a very different way for producing educational materials for the massage world. So uh, start off, if you will, just tell us a little bit about what Massage Mastery Online is and what your, what's kind of your vision for the future of this. I'll, 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 give, I'll give the short version and then I'll, I'll let Anne just, just okay. dive into it. Right. <laughs> Basically, we're, we're creating digital multimedia rich textbooks mm -hmm. for the massage profession. So it's a textbook that's better than a textbook. It's not your not your grandma's textbook. It's not. Yeah. It's not, and it's not it's not an ebook. It's not a Kindle. Um, it, it's a, a more of a, a of an immersive, rich immersive experience um, as you delve into it. Yeah, I think that's one of the big misunderstandings that I see a lot with these kinds of things is people always apply their understanding based on what they already know. So they've seen you know an ebook. They've seen things on their Kindle and Amazon reader, whatever. Oh yeah, it's just, it's a textbook, but I read it on my iPad kind of thing. And that's, that's a very different experience from what you all have created here. Yeah. And, the, and you're right. That's people's experience of, of a digital textbook is traditional publishers basically just drop their whole book online as a PDF or some yeah. you know, similar, similar kind of format. Mm -hmm. and, and, it, and it just doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. I heard an analogy one time from a, a teaching group that said, you know, how do you think it would go over if a teacher walked into the classroom with their arms full of a whole bunch of big papers and just dropped them on the desk and then walked out and said, okay, here's your lessons. And essentially that's kind of what gets done a lot with information dumping in large scale textbooks that just go online and with the idea of like, oh, it's going to be easy for people because now they can read it anywhere they are on their device or whatever. But that that's not necessarily what makes a book a good book or an, a learning experience, a good learning experience. So you're trying to push this farther down the road in, in some new ways from what I understand. Yeah. We don't want people to have to be disciplined to sit down and read their books. We want yeah. to make it engaging so that they're pulled through it. It's, mm -hmm. it's more magnetic um, yeah. rather than having to push somebody to, to do the work yeah. and to make the technology uh, invisible um, so, uh, you know, you're not concerned about the technology, you're just enjoying having fun, engaging with the material, mm -hmm. interacting with the material. Yeah. So, and this, this started out as your textbook, right? Your massage entry level textbook that was a print book first and then morphed into this project. Is that right? Yeah, in a way. Uh, what kind of happened is Eric and I have talked about creating something like Massage Mastery Online for a long time. And I also talked with ABMP about creating it. Um, and as you know, they're a membership organization. So moving full force into a publishing venture was not necessarily a direction that they wanted to go at the time that we were discussing it. Um, but what Eric and I always wanted to create was something that was immersive, that surrounds you in a beautiful, vivid world of content. And I know you and I, Whitney, have talked about the fact that uh, a textbook is limited in terms of imagery and charts and graphs because there is a printing cost. There's a hard cost associated with page count. So for comparison, my printed version of the book, Spa Bodywork, and Lippincott boasted about this, boasted 350 images. My digital edition that we just released, mm -hmm. it has 1,500 images. Yeah. So 
you know, most textbook publishers are creating video, they're creating ancillaries that go along with their textbooks, but the learner has to go somewhere new to get that. Mm -hmm. It's not right there with them and it's not easy. So what we're doing is creating very integrated experiences and we're using the best practices in online instructional design that are available to us now and throwing out some that don't work and redoing it when we have to. But our goal is that um, if reading is a challenge for you, there's another way to get the information. You either watch a presentation that's very vivid or you listen along to the audio while you read. If English is your second language, you can translate the entire textbook with two clicks into any language in the world right there, right now. That's using technology effectively for learning. And obviously students have to take the MBLEX in English or Spanish. So they're gonna have to practice in English even if it's not their first language. But being able to get the concepts first and then going back and doing the English is a big deal for lots of students. And then a real focus on terminology in education, like drill and practice has to happen when it comes to terms. They're gonna have to know 2,500 terms to be able to sit and pass the emblex on the first try. So there has to be this focus on terminology and helping students learn the terminology. And then a real interest in how a concept is formed in a learner's mind. Like there's a way that we form content that we form our ideas about concepts. Like if I say myofascial release, you get an image in your head. So we have to pair images with important concepts and we have to convey the same sort of authenticity that an image conveys through the text and through the games that we use to sort of play with content. Because content, it happens, we learn in a certain way. Like when it comes to theory-based content, we listen and we have an initial response to content. And if that response is not, yes, give me more because I'm with you, the learner is out and we've lost them. So we have to make sure that we're always building the content at the appropriate level with an easy entry point and then asking them to apply what they know in new ways and in new situations because that's level two and if you don't do that which means compare and contrast concepts um, list concepts from memory discuss aloud what you know about concepts like if we can't get them working with the concepts then again, they'll never move on to level three, which is the critical thinking stage where they can use concepts to solve problems. So we use a very chunked sort of methodology where there are lessons. We don't call them chapters because learners have negative um, associations to that word. We use lessons and we use topics and we break those topics out into 15 minute pieces of content. So a learner can get through a topic, they can check it complete in the system, the system tells them that they've made progress and then they move on to the next topic. So there's also sort of a lot of motivational, intrinsic motivational pieces that we can build in using technology to help learners sort of keep going. Mm -hmm. But the whole thing is for me, multiple approaches, 
They have to be able to visualize it. So lots of pictures. They have to be able to read it. Some people still love to read. They have to be able to listen to it if they can't read it for some reason, or they have to see a presentation on it right there within their textbook because they will watch a video before uh, 80% of them will watch a video before they ever read it. But as you, and I know you've really worked, uh, you use a lot of problem solving sort of organization, Whitney, in your online structure, like you're very problem solution based, yeah. which is a beautiful format, but like our format is incredibly labor intensive. So one of the things that happened, I think, with um, Massage Mastery is Lippincott stopped selling their massage line. Lots of authors just moved to different publishers. And I just kind of sat on my book, not really knowing what to do with it. And then Eric and I, we put it online. And so Massage Mastery, the actual textbook, is very simple. But then everything we've built out after that is using our new methodology. And we're slowly replacing massage mastery with more integrated, innovative, vivid content. Yeah. But it's a long, slow process. Um, I can write it quite quickly. Mm -hmm. I'm a fast writer and I'm a good researcher, but then I have to go back and do all the videos. So I might write something in six weeks and then take three months to do the videos. Yeah. I know that game. I have sometimes video apprehension, the thoughts like, oh, I'd rather just deal with technical stuff today than make a video, you know, but it's a rich <laughs> educational experience and it needs to be done right and done well. And so, yeah, sometimes those are challenging pieces to, to bring them all together there. Um, but I was going to ask you all too, in terms of doing this, have you found challenges or difficulties with adoption with people understanding how to use these new platforms more, most effectively to their benefits or or are you seeing a, a greater level of adoption now from from some of these kinds of things because you're again you're having to teach people something this is not just your your old your father's textbook anymore you know this is this is something very different um yeah, it, well, it's been interesting because what we found with our all the early adopters are almost entirely colleges, community mm -hmm. colleges, community oh, colleges. Uh -huh. They have and they are they have a background with technology because other programs yeah. are already in that space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so because they're from yeah, so so just for that reason, they're 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 familiar through other programs. It, it's built into the structure of the community colleges and massage therapists or massage programs have sort of been swept up in that. Right. Uh, so we're finding that, that they're really the, the early adopters because they understand. Mm -hmm. um, but we do, we do have uh, some more uh, you know, independent schools, mom and pop mm -hmm. operations, very small schools um, adopting it and certainly seeing the, the benefits of it for, for themselves. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I had thought was an opening for those types of schools is that, you know, a lot of the community colleges and university programs that did eventually get into offering massage programs because of their financial um, capabilities have the ability to, you know, have a very robust learning management system at the school that they can put all kinds of stuff through these platforms and distribute it to students. Whereas the small mom and pop schools just don't have a really good structure for disseminating some of those kinds of things. So what you offer them is a really, you know, great opportunity to have 
really high quality educational content also produced in a platform that you don't have to worry about maintaining and managing to that degree. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And at the, at the price point, you know, it, it's, it's cheap to adopt that kind of yeah. technology. Mm-hmm. And then it gives them, and, you know, for, for, uh, well, for all schools, but, you know, uh, certainly hear this more from maybe some of the independent schools is they just love the, uh, the management features, the way they can track their students' progress, the way they yeah. can look at their quiz scores and sort of know where the student's at in terms of their, their retention of the, the information. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are, those are really important features for, uh, for a school owner or administrator or instructors. Yeah, yeah. I do think, I do think that there has, we have to, um, we have to do a lot of capacity building. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means that Eric holds their hand until they don't need their handheld anymore. And he's been really, really great about just meeting schools where they're at, which is how you meet a learner. You meet a learner where their learner's at. And in this case, many schools are learners. So we've sort of said, um, whatever they need, whatever it takes to help them make this next step, we're in. We're in for that challenge. Um, and I say, actually, Eric's in, I'm off writing, <laughs> but he literally, you know, he makes them videos that are specific to them. He's very good about learning their unique processes, how they do things. He asks a lot of questions about how their school functions and how the teacher or the administrator needs the program to function, which has led to some innovations for us. You know, the user telling us what they need instead of us telling them what they need. But then Eric just teaches them. He spends an hour or two hours with a school administrator or a group of instructors, and he just walks them step by step through the process. Because once you go through it once, you've got it and it's no mystery. But I think, um, Eric's really good at teaching people technology and that has served us very well. Yeah. I think those pieces are so important to tie together because um, it, it can be such an, uh, an impairment and an inhibition to people jumping onto these kinds of things if they're afraid of the technology. And once they run into a couple of problems mm-hmm. or challenges that can be just like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah. You know? And, and so that's, that's so helpful. I think to have, have those pieces covered really well. And know that you're not going to have to be, you know, contacting some behemoth publisher um, to oh, yeah. try to go through their, their technical support system and, and somebody who really doesn't care about what you're doing. So, well, you know, I, I just have been so fascinated to watch this process of, of evolution with what you all have put together. And I think it's just it's a wonderful product. And I would encourage people to, to take a look at it. How can people learn more about what you're doing now and, and learn more about the Massage Mastery Online and some of those kinds of things? Where can they contact you there? You can always just go to massagemastery.online. And then um, you have three options. You can pick that you're a student, a school, or a professional. And then there's an information sort of tab. And that gives you sort of the entry point into our website, I would say. And then you just explore or you go down to the contact us form and you say, I need help or I need Eric to walk me through this. (laughs) And then Eric contacts you and walks you through it. (laughs) And hopefully not more than 
you know, 10 people do that a day. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And then, right. and we have a number of, of pieces that they can look at things that they can have for free so that they could try it out. And, um, yeah, and we'll, we'll do whatever it takes to help you figure it out, feel comfortable working in it, see it. Um, yeah, we're new. And so we're hungry and we'll show up. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and then besides textbooks too. Uh, so we do have a professionals tab on our page. So people can have sort of a similar kind of learning experience as a massage professional through CE courses. Mm-hmm. And again, there's just a lot of really bad CE uh, that exists in the market, unfortunately. And, um, and hopefully you won't find that on massage mastery, not online. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay, good. So leading the charge once again, for producing good educational content for the future. So, uh, well, I'm always inspired to see what you all are up to and, and talk about the things that you're doing. And I want to thank you for sharing some time today with the thinking practitioner audience about that. Any last minute thoughts or things that you'd want to um, make sure people know or get out to people on uh, this whole topic of educational innovations? Never stop learning. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. And, and, and thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, you know, you until you do a fantastic uh podcast looking at some really interesting uh issues so um you know thanks thanks for all that the two of you do for the profession yeah, appreciate and, it yeah. and as you know thank you for supporting us in our vision and thank you for also being an innovator in our field and for leading the charge for online education you laid a lot of great ga- groundwork for us so <laughs> thanks for all right. that yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, at that point too, of like starting to look behind me, like, where's that person that I'm passing the torch to coming up? Cause uh, I just hit 60 this past year. You know, it's like, I see like, there's a lot of things I'm probably not going to get done that I really had hoped would happen before, <laughs> yeah. um, before I hang the cleats up. But uh, anyway, I'll still kick around for a little while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you both again so much for joining us here today. Um, I would like to also thank Books of Discovery, who's been a part of massage therapy education for over 20 years. Thousands of schools around the world teach with their textbooks, e-textbooks, and digital resources. And in these trying times, this beloved publisher is dedicated to helping educators with online-friendly digital resources that make instruction easier and more effective in the classroom or virtually. Books of Discovery likes to say learning adventures start here, and they see that same spirit here on the Thinking Practitioner podcast, and they're proud to support our work knowing we share the mission to bring the massage and bodywork community enlivening content that advances our profession. So check out their collection of e-textbooks and digital learning resources for pathology, kinesiology, anatomy, and physiology at booksofdiscovery.com, where Thinking Practitioner listeners can save 15% by entering thinking at checkout. So again, we'd like to thank all the listeners for hanging out with us here today. And also thanks to all of our sponsors of the show. You can stop by our site for show notes, transcripts, and extras. You can find that on my site at academyofclinicalmassage.com and also over on Till's site at advanced-trainings.com. Questions or things you'd like to hear us talk about, please email us at info at thethinkingpractitioner.com or look for us on social media under our names, Till Luca, and also with me at Whitney Lowe. You can rate us on Apple Podcasts as it does help other people find the show. And you can hear us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you happen to listen. Please do share the word and do tell a friend. 
And of course, if you're unable to find us in any of those locations, you can always aim your proton-powered telescope at Halley's Comet, and you'll hear us there in the vapor trail. So thanks again so much for everybody uh, hanging out today, and we'll talk to you again soon.